0: You are listening to the How'd You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin. This is episode 38. Let's do it. Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview or encouraging message to help you find and do work you love. Now, here's your host, Grant Baldwin. What is up, my friends? Welcome to episode 38. It's good to have you here on this delightful day. Hope you're having a great week so far. Hope life is treating you good. Got a great episode for you today. Great interview. Great chit-chat. And just good stuff. Good stuff for you today. Hey, real quick, want to give a shout-out to our friends at 99designs.com. If you have not checked them out, you're missing out. Because here's the deal. Your branding is the face of your business. So make a great impression with creative, professional designs from 99designs. You can visit 99designs.com slash grant. Get a power pack upgrade for free. Again, that's 99designs.com slash grant. Hey, uh, excited because today I'm actually en route to uh, FinCon down in New Orleans, the Financial Bloggers Conference. So uh, if you are listening to this on... Uh, well, I guess it would be, what, September 18th? Then I am headed down to New Orleans. But uh, if you're listening to this way in the future, you got to listen when, the, when these come out because, you know, there's timely information here and I don't want you to miss out on stuff. So here's the deal. If you are in New Orleans, if you're going to be at the Financial Bloggers Conference, going to be hosting a... I'm going to be speaking at it for one. So I'd love to have you at the session. Love to meet you. love to say hey. But also, I was going to let you know that I'm hosting a meetup with my friend, Jeff Goins. He's another speaker and uh, was also interviewed on episode 25 of the show so make sure you check him out. But really, really great dude, good writer, and just an all-around swell guy. So he and I are going to be hosting a uh, meetup down there in New Orleans tomorrow night, September the 19th. It's totally free to come, but you do have to register for it. You can go to grantbaldon.com slash FinCon, F-I-N-C-O-N. Again, grantbaldon.com slash FinCon and register. Make sure that you reserve your spot. All right, let's let's uh, let's get to today's episode. Today, we've got my friend Kerry Chapin. And Kerry is a gal who uh, has an incredible story, just a, a really serendipitous story of how she is doing what she's doing today. And so uh, she does a lot with our creatives and our artists and uh, artistic types, but just a, a super sharp, uh, super cool gal. You're really, really going to enjoy today's show. Real quick, I wanted to give you a heads up that the audio cuts out for a few seconds, uh, a few minutes into the interview. So don't be alarmed. Technical glitches, the joys of those, so they they happen. But I just want to let you know that it's not uh, it's not you, it's me. We're not breaking up. Don't Don't get the wrong idea. I'm just... All right, enough of that. Let's get to the interview. Here's Carrie. Enjoy. Greetings, salutations. Welcome to another episode of How'd You Get Into That. Today, we are joined by Carrie Chapin, who is a uh, an artist, a writer, just a uh, a creative extraordinaire. So, Carrie, welcome to the show. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah, so glad this worked out. So, for someone that's not familiar with with who you are, or what you do, give us a, a snapshot of, of your business.
1: Okay. Well, again, my name is Carrie Chapin, and I am a writer. I have four published books that are out, and three of them are for creative entrepreneurs, specifically artists or handmakers, crafters, anybody who makes something from scratch and puts it out into the world. And the first book that I wrote was called The Handmade Marketplace, How to Sell Your Crafts Locally, Globally, and Online. And that came out in 2010. And then the second edition of that book. So it's uh, revised and updated, came out earlier this year in 2014. And my second book was called Grow Your Handmade Business, which helps creative entrepreneurs craft business plans that work for them or just sort of map out the future of their business. And these can be business plans that are for your eyes only or that you would maybe need to share with a banker. So there's a lot of different approaches to just figuring out now that you've made something and it's working, how do you get it to continue to work? And that's what grow your handmade business is about. I also do a lot of consulting with small creative businesses uh, again with business planning and marketing. Marketing is sort of my true love and I can be found on the web on the internet at www.carrychapin.com.
0: Beautiful. So it sounds like you do a lot with the within the handmade craft and just uh, handmade goods business. So give us an idea of what like what type of handmade goods would people be creating?
1: Well, uh, really, the sky's the limit. You know, people knit, they crochet, they spin wool, they make pottery. They're painters. They make jewelry. They design clothes, fabric design, pattern design. I mean, there's just. It's endless what people what people make, and if you make something, I want to help you sell it
0: <laughs> yeah I think there's um I think that's true with so many people, especially the people that are making something like I have this thing, and I like making the thing. I just have no idea how I actually share it with the world, and I think there's something there, but I have no idea what to actually do with it so it sounds like you're kind of that that missing piece of the puzzle
1: yeah, I definitely saw a hole in the and what was available as far as resources go for handmakers back before I wrote the Handmade Marketplace. And it just seems like if you go to art school or if you really know a craft very well or if you get any sort of formal education around what you do, there for a long time there was a really big missing piece in the educational system, and that was what comes next. So it's great if somebody teaches you how to become a fine artist or a painter. You're really a skilled craftsperson in your discipline, but then where's the rest of the information that you need to know? (laughs) And when Etsy.com sort of became big on the scene in the mid to early 2000s, I really wanted to help people figure out what what did they do with it once they were done. And that is sort of how I got started.
0: Nice. All right. So let's back up even further there. Today, you live in uh, Portland, right? Portland area? Yes.
1: I do. I live in Portland, Oregon.
0: Are you from up there or where are you from?
1: I am actually from all around. I grew up all over the country. Oregon is my 17th state that I've lived in.
0: Jeez.
1: <laughs> and uh, But I mostly say I'm from Denver, Colorado. That's where I've spent the most consecutive years in a row. So Denver, but we moved to Portland via Vermont. So I was in New England for the past 10 years until we, came to, until we came to Oregon.
0: You are the truest sense of a nomad.
1: Yes, I really do not generally stay put.
0: <laughs> All right. So you'll hang tight in Portland for the time being until uh, another state calls your name. So growing up, what did you want to do with life?
1: Well, I wanted to do a lot of things. The first thing I can really remember wanting to be when I was little was a solid gold dancer. And I loved solid gold and soul train. And I really thought that I wanted to do that. As I got a little bit older, though, I really was a very busy reader as a child and really loved reading and thought that I would grow up to actually become a writer. And in my teen years, I had my sights set on journalism. And then, of course, I had about 20 other jobs that really had nothing to do with being a professional writer until I sat down to write my first book. So I was was kind of all over the map. I definitely knew I wanted to be creative, and I definitely knew that I was entrepreneurial, but I didn't see how to make that work for a really long time.
0: Did you go to college? I went to college for
1: exactly one semester, (laughs)
0: <laughs> All right. and realize <laughs> well, and just realize quickly that that wasn't the the path for you.
1: No, it was not. I actually went to a great a great school in Colorado and I was an art major because I thought it would come with great studio space and more tools than I could afford on my own. I was really interested in industrial design and wanted to make furniture. College was definitely not for me. I'm not a structured education person. I really like to learn, but not necessarily in a organized classroom sort of fashion.
0: You're just a free spirit.
1: I have a free educational spirit, I guess. (laughs) There you go.
0: So whenever whenever you, you pull the plug on that, are you still wanting to do kind of the industrial furniture route?
1: Well, I wanted to make furniture, and I still am very interested in it. I had a business in my late teens where I took furniture that I bought at yard sales or found in alleys or consignment shops, thrift shops, whatever, and redid it. So I would take these dressers and sand them down and then paint them pretty creatively things like that I did the same thing with tables picture frames and then I was selling the furniture that I made over in art galleries and to people directly for a long time so I really thought that if I went to school for industrial design I could learn to make my own dresser my own industrial for me but I still love finding a good piece of furniture and making it over.
0: Nice, very cool. So at the time, are you just thinking, well, I'll just keep going down the furniture route, or is that just kind of a, a hobby thing on the side?
1: Well, I definitely had a working business doing it, and I wanted to continue that, but it just, after I dropped out of school i you know the whole time I had been working other part time jobs, so I had jobs that were supporting my furniture making, and those jobs just get kept getting better and better and bigger and bigger until the furniture definitely became more of a hobby and less of a business as my career continued to grow. So I just kept working and my jobs just kept offering more and more responsibility and I kept accepting it.
0: So you're doing different types of, it sounds like just kind of piecemeal stuff together in order to kind of make it work there. Uh, do you have any sense of what you want to do long term or are you just kind of just going with the flow? Right now? Uh, no, back then.
1: Oh, back then. Uh, No, back then I really was very committed to working in uh, theaters, so I had a lot of different jobs with theaters and volunteered at a lot of different art galleries, and I really loved doing that, all of my jobs in theaters revolved around marketing, community development, and public relations. So I was getting to do a lot of writing, even though it was mostly web copy or brochure copy or newsletters. I was getting to write, which was really satisfying, that part of me that I'd always wanted to be a writer. And I was getting to be around sets and other creative people, so there was a little bit of the furniture stuff in there in a, in a weird kind of way. And I just kept moving forward with it until eventually eventually I left theater when I was offered a job at a home goods store. And in the meanwhile, I had always been doing what I really loved on the side. So I was a volunteer for public radio for a really, really long time and actually had my own recording equipment and would go out and make audio documentaries in my spare time and really loved doing that. I always had jobs writing for community newspapers on the side. So I was really able to balance my professional career with sort of my Passion interests until I could figure out how to get those to pay me. But I wasn't really doing any kind of work that was like soul sucking or really dissatisfying. You know, I just kept trying to figure out how to get more and more of what I really loved into my big picture.
0: I think, I think it sounds like where you were at is where a lot of people are that I, I talk to or get emails from and listeners of the show who are going, you know, what I'm doing isn't horrible. It isn't soul sucking work. It's not miserable. But there's got to be something more than just this. Like, is this what I'm going to do for the next, you know, 20, 30, 40 years of life? Or is there something else that I could be doing? It sounds like that's kind of the spot you were in.
1: Yeah, it definitely was. I mean, I don't want to imply that I've never had a job that I didn't like because I sure have. I've done <laughs> I've done my fair share of jobs that I did feel like they were, you know, sucking the life out of me. But for the most part, I tried really hard to make decisions that were going to be, good for me and my family and also good for, my, good for my spirit. So if I found a great job that I was going to be happy enough at, that was also going to give me elements, which is of what I really loved, like being around creative people or had a strong writing component to it. I definitely wasn't opposed to it, but I kept wondering what's next, what's next, what's next. And I found that I think – it's just an inherent quality that I have that no matter how happy I am overall with what I do or how successful I am, I am always asking myself, what's next? You know, I wrote a book and it did really well and I still found myself saying, okay, what's next? Or I had a really successful personal blog a few years ago and even though I, you know, that was working out really well, I was still saying, what's next? Or I would hear a piece I did on the radio and say, okay, what's after that? Like, you know, so it's not that I'm not ever been satisfied. I I think I'm just overall very curious and just really experimental. I'm always willing to try new things or do something in a different way. So I'm not sure that I'll ever say, well, this is it. This is the final thing. This is, I've arrived because I'm pretty sure I would just be really bored if I felt like, okay, I've got it all worked out.
0: Yeah. I think that's the case with a lot of people. In fact, I just, I, I, it resonates with me even as you're saying it. I just wrote a post about that called The Art of Healthy Discontentment and of stopping and recognizing where you're at and I appreciate where I am in life and what I have in life and and what I've worked for or earned or whatever, but... At the same time, I don't want to just stay here. I don't want to just grow stagnant and stale. I want to keep pushing and growing and striving. And, you know, uh, so just there's such a, a delicate balance there of just being content, of being happy with what you have and what you are, where you are in life, but realizing that uh, not becoming just this, this, again, this stagnant creature that just kind of exists.
1: Yeah, I agree with that 100%. I don't know that I'll ever say, Okay,
0: (laughs) I'm all set.
1: I'm all set. (laughs) Nothing more for me to do in the world. I mean, I hope that day never comes because the world is just so big and, and vast, and there's so many opportunities. And I love ideas and think think things up all the time that I'm interested and curious about. And I really feel like if I were to lose that, then you know, something is definitely not right in my world.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So you you wrap up the gig with the the theater and then you said you went to a a home goods store?
1: I sure did. I was um, actually working as a volunteer for the local newspaper in my town, writing some articles here and there for their lifestyle section. And they sent me to a local store to do a story on the unique business design that the store had at, at the time they were selling home good products made out of recycled sweaters which uh, green products and things like of that nature are definitely a lot more common now than they were you know back in 2007 when I went to write the article and so it was definitely news that somebody was making fancy blankets out of old sweaters and I just really loved the shop I had a great time with the store manager I really loved the products and what they were doing I had always been sort of a, a you know a crafty, creative, hands-on person myself, and I just was fascinated by everything they were doing. So I became a regular customer at the store, and after about five months, the manager said, I've been accepted to veterinary school and I'm going to leave the shop. Would you like to become the manager and the buyer? And I had not really worked retail beyond coffee shops or restaurants before and was really intrigued by the idea. And at the time, I had a great job as a publicist at a very Incredible Shakespearean theater company and really was enjoying my life and the town we were living in and the work I was doing. But I just was so fascinated by this opportunity. But I had to learn really what a buyer was. I wasn't entirely sure even what that meant. And um, at the end, I decided to take the job. And it just changed my whole life. So it was definitely something new. I just jumped in with both feet and said, I'm going to try this. And nothing has been the same since. So it was actually a pretty big risk to take. and But I'm so glad. I'm so glad it turned out
0: wonderfully for me. What what was so life-changing about it?
1: Well, uh, part of our mission in the store was to sell eco-friendly home good products. So I needed to find things that complemented our signature line. And Etsy was new on the scene. So I was writing to people saying, I'm interested in stocking XYZ in my shop. Could I get a sample from you or would you please send me your your line sheet, and your wholesale terms. How do I get this? You know, how do I get enough of these to sell? And people just weren't writing back to me. And I, I figured out after a while it's because they had no idea what I was talking about. They were simply making something, putting it online for X amount of dollars. And then when somebody wanted to buy 20 of them at, say, you know, 50% off because they needed a wholesale price, they just were flummoxed. <laughs> yeah. They had I had no idea what I was talking about. So once I figured that out with the communication problem was I just started writing to people saying, okay, I'm new to this wholesale world too. I've never done this before either, but this is what I'm learning and this is what I figured out. And after a couple of years of working with these independent crafters like this, I just realized I had enough material for a book and I decided that I would try to write one to help people figure out how to actually sell their stuff on a much larger scale. And from that decision and from the first book being published, just everything changed. I was able to finally work for myself, um, incorporate all the things I've always loved about working for other people into my own business model and just had a lot more freedom. And it's been wonderful. But without taking that job that I had no idea if I was qualified for or if I could do it or if I was going to like it or if it was going to harm my theater career to be you know, out of the industry for a little while. It just was one of the best decisions I've ever made.
0: Whenever you are talking with a lot of these independent craftsmakers and, and goods makers, what, what are the issues that they're all kind of having in common that you felt like you could help solve?
1: That they weren't sure how to market themselves. That was a tough one. And this is before we had as many social media options as we have now. So it was a little bit harder to spread the word about what you were doing back then because you just simply, you know, couldn't pin it or or whatnot. Like social media sites were sort of like Flickr. Twitter was kind of new and not as big as it is now. Facebook was still mostly for college kids, although other people were joining. It was just an entirely different online landscape. And even though, you know, it wasn't that long ago, but it feels like in internet years, it was, sure. you know, a million years ago. So a lot of people were struggling with marketing. A lot of people were struggling with just the thought of taking a hobby and actually going legit. That was a really big challenge for a lot of people to say. I've always made hats and you know, sometimes my friends and family would buy them or I would sell them at Christmas time at the, you know, church bazaar, but could this really be a business? So I spent a lot of the early part of this time just convincing people that, yeah, if they really wanted to make a business, they certainly could. And that was a big, big challenge in the beginning.
0: How would someone kind of differentiate the two? Because I think, there's, I think that was one of the immediate questions I had in my own mind was going, well, I've got this little hobby, this little craft thing I do on the side, and it's kind of fun. And, and you know, there may be something. I like selling it. A few people have bought it. How do I know if I've got something there that this could actually become uh, like a business?
1: Well, I that is definitely something I I still work with people on that t- to this day and but it was a main focus when I started. And what I would do with people is really figure out, you know, first of all, do you want a business? There's a lot of pressure these days if you make something we almost feel obligated to try to make money from it versus having hobby crafts or passion crafts that we just think are a lot of fun. Now, there's a, if somebody says, Oh, I love your necklace, and you say, I made it, like, you know, the next question is, Oh, can I buy one? And, you know, if you don't want to make something for sale, If that's going to diminish the pleasure you receive from the actual creating, then having a business isn't really the right move for you. And that's okay. You know, not everything has to lead to money. It's okay to just like things. And I I think there's a lot of pressure in our world today to figure out how to sell, sell, sell. And um, so starting there is always a good place. You know, do you really want to have a business because... Something that's easy to forget and not so easy to see is that owning a business is work. You're creating a job for yourself and you will have to do the work. And it is much more than just sitting down to make something while, you know, you watch season seven of Buffy. You know, you have to really (laughs) be willing to do the marketing, do the photography, do the accounting, buy the supplies Do all of the other things that come along with having a job, which is what people are creating for themselves. So it's always a good place to start with. um, Do you really want to have a business, or do you want to have a hobby?
0: Yeah, that's such a good question. I I totally agree and uh, resonate with that. Just people overlook that thing of just going, "Well, yeah, I want to." You know, I I would prefer to have more money than less. So people's someone's offering to pay me for this thing. So yeah, I bet I could get more people to pay it. And before long, you're like people are paying me for this thing, but I don't even like the thing anymore. And I don't don't know what I'm doing here or why I got into this in the first place. But it sounds like a lot of people may lose the joy of what they got into it for in the first place once they start treating it as a business.
1: Yeah, I think that that's the case for a lot of people, and I spend a lot of time saying, you know, if if you want to be a part of the handmade community, which who wouldn't? It's so amazing. You know, it's okay to just be a supporter. All businesses, all economic communities need supporters, and it's all right to find your place in that, in in that specific, you know, um, role as a community member. People need buyers, and, and they're going to love you for it. So, just because you want to be a part of it or because you admire it doesn't mean that you have to do it. It's also okay just to make things for fun. Yeah. And I think that gets forgotten a lot.
0: Yeah, I think another thing too is you you can make things on your own terms, you know, meaning you can, you know, I think sometimes we look, we think of having your own business and we think I've got this, you know, this huge handmade goods thing and I've got a bunch of employees and a bunch of overhead and a factory and all these just different things. It's like, no, no, like maybe you just want to make an extra 500 bucks a month and like, that's it. And there's a lot of ways you can do that without feeling the pressure or the need to want to scale it up to, you know, $105,000 a month.
1: Exactly. I I really work with people to figure out, you know, what what do you want from this at the end of the day? Do you just want to pay for your hobby? Do you just want to, you know, uh, do you want to make enough money so that your family can take a two-week vacation to Hawaii every year? Do you want to make enough money to cover your mortgage payment? Because if you want to make enough money to support your family, that's an entirely different job you're creating than the job that says, well, I want to be able to go out to dinner once a month and, you know, reimburse myself for the $600 worth of yarn that I would really like to buy like those are two very different businesses and two very different jobs and they're both amazing you know whatever you want is okay and I, th- I think people need permission to realize that sometimes or accept that
0: yeah to do either either's fine you just have to pick one you can't really can't really do both and do either of them well.
1: Yeah, and you certainly won't be happy if you're, you know, choosing to do the one that doesn't really, really speak to who you are and to what you really want.
0: So for someone that may be listening to this going, okay, I've, I've got this handmade thing and I think it's going somewhere and I'd like to turn it into a business and maybe just help support the family a little bit more than maybe what I'm able to contribute now with this craft. What are some next steps of how do you, since your love of, of, of marketing, how do we get this out into the world and share our, our good with the with the world?
1: Well, you know, there's unlimited ways to do that now, but definitely it's it's really important to have some sort of web, web presence. So, you know, almost – well, so I guess I should pretty much speak for myself here, but a lot of us really don't buy something anymore without researching it sure. online. So, you know, having a web presence that – really represents your business and and what you want to say to the world is really important. And I think that it is becoming more and more important for people to actually own their own piece of internet real estate versus just depending on having a shop front on a website that allows you to sell what you make or a social media website. I think it is becoming more important that people figure out how to own the majority of their content so that if interfaces change or algorithms change no you still have a place where people know for sure that they can find you reliably and purchase from you in some way or another so owning your own website owning your own list is just as important I think as having a, a shop somewhere where you're able to to find customers a little bit easier so marketing is really what what you want to to make it, you know, you can blog, you can have a good social media presence, you can choose not to go that route at all and just sell locally. It really depends on what your end goal is, but you first must be willing to talk about yourself with confidence, describe what you do, and and want to encourage people to buy from you. A lot of a lot of people have trouble with that; they don't want to seem braggy or pushy or salesy, and even though they would have no trouble saying. You know, oh, I just bought the most comfortable pair of shoes and you should really check this out. They uh, feel great, they're stylish, and they were a really good value. You know, we can talk all day about things we buy to our friends and family and, and explain why why it's a, a good thing for them to check out. But for some reason, when it comes to our own work, people shut down a little bit. So really deciding that you want to market your work and then figuring out the ways you're going to be most comfortable and what you're going to stick with are the best places to
0: start i think how do you gain confidence in that of just being able and comfortable to talk about this thing that you made because yeah it's, it's more than just like a third-party product or service it's like no, no no i made this like i love this this is my baby so how mm-hmm. do you get confident and comfortable and saying like yeah this i made this thing and you should buy it and it's worth money how do you like how do you grow that's that just something that just takes time
1: I do think it just takes time there. You know, you might not ever become 100% comfortable or confident doing that. But that, that is really neither here nor there. If you want to sell what you make, you have to be able to tell people about it. So if it always makes you uncomfortable, look for the way that makes you feel the best, (laughs) you know, when, when you're doing it, because it's, you just don't have a choice about it. I mean, you could be the most talented person in the world. But if you never tell people what you make, and nobody ever buys it, then you're actually not going to be successful in your business because you will not be able to sell anything. So if having a business is what you really want to have, which is you know ultimately the first thing you need to decide, then, then you must find the courage, if not the confidence, to talk about what you make. And I will say, though, that it does get easier over time. That it becomes more, if somebody says, what do you do? And you work at a restaurant, you know, you after it, it just is easy to say. Well, I'm a waitress, or whatever it is that you do. And owning your own business can take you down the same kind of path. The more you say it, and the more you practice, and the more people you tell, the easier it becomes. Well,
0: especially also, I think once people start buying it, it kind of validates it in your own mind. Like, I can't believe someone just gave me money for that. Not like in yeah. a I ripped them off way, but in a this is crazy. Like, I just made this thing, and they see this is enough, amazing. Yeah, they see <laughs> enough value in it to give me currency for it. That's so yeah. cool. You know, That's such an amazing feeling. The first time you have a sale of, of any type where it just, it just validates it in your own mind. But I think something like that even grows your confidence of, okay, all these other people that have purchased this thing can't be wrong. So I, I feel more confident in, in saying that this is a really good product or this is a really good service. And I know this is going to help you. And all of these people are validation of that
1: yeah I mean if if it takes a while to build up your confidence, then just go with the courage
0: <laughs> yeah for sure <laughs> you know,
1: find find a way to do it
0: when you're looking back now and you have the opportunity to take this this job at this this home goods store and it's just kind of this crossroads of your career and life of and it sounds like you know obviously it was a game changing thing for you is there anything that you would do differently now or anything that you would go back and change?
1: hmm that is an interesting question. I really Don't think so. You know, I didn't even know that jobs like that would existed. I really didn't know what a buyer was at the time, and that turns out to be something that I really loved, loved doing trend forecasting and buying. So if I had known about that job earlier in my life, then maybe I would have looked for work like that a lot sooner. But I didn't know about it, so I wasn't not doing it. I would say that With most things that I do, the only thing I wish I would have done differently is just start sooner. I spend a lot of time mulling things over and really examining things. And I suffer sometimes from like analysis paralysis. You know, it takes me a really long time to decide, like, okay, today I'm starting you know instead I do a lot of research and, and yep. study a lot and so I would probably just say start sooner but that doesn't necessarily apply to when I started this career because I really do believe that everything I did up until that point was necessary to get me to where I am now
0: cool good stuff well Carrie if people want to find out more about the uh, the books or, or what you want to just stalk you more online where can we go
1: definitely to my website carriejapin.com and my name is uh, spelled dot com, and there you can sign up for my newsletter, and once you do, you'll get a link to my private Facebook community, and there's a whole bunch of handmakers and creative entrepreneurs in that group that are active every day and support one another, answer questions. It's, it's a really wonderful place to be, and I'd love to invite all your listeners who would find that to be interesting to check it out.
0: Sweet. Definitely go by there. Check that out, Carrychapin.com and, uh, and, and get access to that private Facebook group. Because if you're serious about this, then it sounds, I know for me, anytime that I've been around like-minded people who get it, not just from an inspiration and encouragement standpoint that these people are in the trenches with me, but just from a practical tactic standpoint of just going, all right, how do I sell this? Or hey, how do I make this? Or how do I do whatever? Being around like-minded people that can provide some of those answers and solutions for you makes a, a huge, huge difference. So, Carrie, thanks for making that available
1: you're welcome thanks for having me on your show
0: yeah it was fun enjoy the chat and we will look to talk to you again real soon
1: okay thanks grant
0: All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that, uh, that conversation and interview with Carrie Chapin. Really good stuff there. As always, you can go to grandbaldwin.com slash Carrie Chapin. K-A-R-I dash C-H-A-P-I-N. Again, grandbaldwin.com slash Carrie Chapin. You get all the uh, interview notes, links, everything that we discussed there. You can go check out Carrie's site as well, but make sure you swing by and check that out. If you haven't been to the website, grandbaldwin.com, we got a lot of good info there, a lot of good blog posts we try to put up regularly. And just keep people in the, Loop on what's going on, what's happening. So uh, make sure you stop by, you check that out. One of the things I really liked about what what Carrie said was uh, just determining what you want your thing to be. You know, when when we were talking about how she helps artists to kind of get their art out and and get their crafts out into the world, you know, we, we talked about do you want it to become a big business or is it just a fun hobby? Either is fine, there's nothing wrong with one or the other. You just have to decide what makes sense for you. So anytime you're beginning something, and even as you're beginning something, you may not entirely know what it'll evolve and, and become. But just have a clear idea, so you kind of set the expectations for yourself. Like if this is a big business, then approach it like a business. But if it's a hobby, then approach it like a hobby. And there are two totally different ways to to approach that. So just determine what your thing is going to be, and make sure that you build it accordingly, so that you're not put it, putting uh, undue pressure or stress on yourself. So again, uh, great thoughts there, good stuff. And uh, make sure you stop by GrantBalden.com. You can. Check out those show notes, like I said. Hey, uh, like I mentioned at the top of the show, we are hosting a meetup tomorrow night in New Orleans with uh, my friend Jeff Goyne. So if you uh, if you would like, you can register for that at grantbaldon.com slash fincon, F-I-N-C-O-N. Make sure that you register for that. We do have a limited number of space, uh, and uh, tickets are free, but you do need to register. So again, grantbaldon.com slash fincon. Incon. All right. Hey, uh, one final shout out for today's sponsor, 99designs, selection, speed, creativity, just a few of the benefits of having several designers work on your project. Start your next design project at 99designs.com slash grant. Get a $99 power pack of services for free. Again, that's 99designs.com slash grant. All right. I think that wraps up uh, episode 38 here. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us. As always, feel free to email me anytime uh, you're rattling something around, kicking something around in your head head uh, something that i can i can help you uh, ponder process grant at GrantBaldwin.com is my email you can also catch me on the Twitter at grant baldwin but would love to hear from you would love to know what shows you're liking what shows uh, you'd like to hear more about what types of careers you'd love to hear anybody in particular you're like man if you could interview this person that would really help me out so we want to hear those types of things so feel free to email me give me a shout online uh, on social media anytime anything that we can do to help you find and do work you love all right Let's put a bow on this episode. Thanks for joining us today. Keep being awesome. I know I tell you that a lot, but I mean it. Keep being awesome. You're great. we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the How Did You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin. Don't forget to visit grantbaldwin.com for all the show notes and links discussed in today's episode. We'll see you next time.